Tired of hearing the same old takes from the same old people? Looking to add some humor, culture, and energy to your daily grind? Your search just might be over. At Rise Network, we're a global multimedia platform for the best and most diverse voices in sports, entertainment, and pop culture. Podcasts, streams, articles, reviews, you name it, we do it. Visit us at Rise Network US on all social media platforms or visit www.riseNetworkUS.com for more info. What are you waiting for? Come on and rise with us. The Upside Swings Draft Podcast is the official NBA draft podcast of the Rise Entertainment Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast, the podcast of the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined as always by the great Stone Hansen, the wonderful Cooper Klein, and uh, another guest who we're very excited to have on, someone who we might be working with pretty closely in, in the future with the Rise Network, and that's Chip Jones at Chip J NBA. Uh, Chip, my friend, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Bryce. I'm really excited to talk about some prospects. Yeah, of course. And, you know, we're having Chip on and he's he's way nerdy like me. So we're going to we're going to talk about deep sleepers. That's that's what we're doing today. Uh, This is it's my kind of like sicko space where I get to talk about all these dudes who who I have on my board that's right now like 255 players long. And uh, somehow Chip came up with someone who I haven't heard of. So uh, big props to him. Uh, but before we fully dive into it, Stone Coop, how are you guys doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, really excited to finally have a podcast with Chip. Um, I I have some guys I want to gush about. And now this is the spot where all three of us sort of get to bring our guys that We'll probably never mention again on the podcast, but here we are. So um, should be a lot of fun, though. Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm excited. I finally get to meet Chip in the semi-person uh, to person. So pretty exciting. Uh, get to spread propaganda on some of my some of my guys. So let's get into it. What is it about if, if not spreading propaganda for players who you are inherently biased towards? I mean, what what else is draft scouting supposed to be about? Um, but no, we're, uh, we're really excited to get this going. I think that this is going to be a great pod. It's basically like a whole episode long tale of the tape. I might even just title it that just because I, I, I don't know. I like that. And yeah, that's that's exactly my thing. So let's just let's just dive right into it. Chip, you have three guys listed here. Just Pick one and go with it. All right. Um, I'm probably going to save save my one that Bryce had not heard of for last because that's now my most proud accomplishment in life. So I'll, I'll start out with St. Thomas because I think he's probably got the highest got the highest ceiling of any of the guys on my list. I, he's, he's one that's a little confusing for me, not in the sense of like what he is as a player, but kind of why he's a bit overlooked. Um, so St. Thomas, he's a true freshman at Loyola Chicago this year. Um, he was the max prep or max reps player of the year in Nebraska last season, um, played on the same high school team as Hunter Salas, uh, who is at Gonzaga and a much bigger name than, um, St. Thomas. And I think something that's a little confusing to me is, uh, St. Thomas had more points, rebounds, assists, and better shooting percentages and played less minutes and is an inch taller. And Hunter Salas was the 15th ranked recruit on our SCI and St. Thomas was 227th. 
which doesn't make a ton of sense to me. So, I mean, that's probably a big part. He had a couple scholarships from some like power five schools like TCU, Mississippi State, Virginia Tech. Um, but I mean, he's, he's a six, seven, 200 pound wing who took a really high volume of threes in college and shot 45% on them. So I don't think it's a super hard sell, uh, where you've got someone who's wing size and can shoot really well. Um, early on, uh, he hasn't gotten a ton of playing time right now at Loyola. They're a super like senior upperclassmen heavy team. They've got a lot of upperclassmen in the rotation, but he's gotten 18 minutes a game in the last two games, which is pretty good. Um, and I mean, he's trying 12.23s per hundred possessions, which is a lot. So, I mean, the, the willingness as a shooter is translated. The percentage hasn't been ideal, but again, it's like 15 total shots or something at this point. So I don't really think it's, you know, a massive thing. Um, but I mean, I think for me, obviously wing size guy, Willie is super willing and pretty good shooter. He's got solid defensive footwork. He's got, he's a good athlete. He's got active hands. Um, and I mean, he's, he's a good passer. Like he's a really good passer. So I think, you know, for me, like, you know, when you look at wings, you've got like the dribble pass shoot as kind of the three foundational skills. And I would say I'm very confident in his shooting being good. And I'm very confident in his passing being good. You know, he throws like no look passes. He's throwing stuff with one hand and stuff. Um, and like really quick connective decision-making stuff. The handle is probably the one that I'm like least confident in. He like most of his times he's handling, it's like he's in the corner. So they're like baseline drives. And then he runs into two defenders and gets walled off. But I mean, for a late second round guy, six, seven, 200 good athlete shoots a bunch of threes. It's pretty nice. Yeah. Um, Tom St. Thomas was someone that uh, the great PD Webb kind of put me on to before the season started is just, Hey, this guy was super underranked and uh, you know, outplayed like, like you said, top 20 prospect Hunter Salas, who, um, you know, we'll, we'll dive into him later on a different pod, but uh, I was intrigued by what I saw. I think the shot form is really nice. Um, he just, he sort of the tough thing to happen when you're ranked in the 220s is it's just, you're not going to have a lot of options where they're going to promise you early playing time. Um, even if you might deserve it, you know, he went to Loyola Chicago, which I think is a great system for him. I really love what Drew Valentine has done with that team. I think it's a really fun team to watch and they beat uh, teams that, that are better talent wise than them. Uh, they, they like to play wings and they give them ball handling duties, shooting duties. Like they, they run kind of a versatile offense. And I think he's going to fill in uh, probably not a guy this year, uh, unless, you know, like he really jumps off the charts in, in conference plays like a sixth man. But uh, I could see him really like, like uh, work his way, maybe even into lottery next year or the year after he just like, when you're six, seven and do it, do what he does. Sometimes that just happens. Like all, all it takes is, you know, one sort of real handle move to click, or you learn how to leverage your athleticism when, when you get hard closeouts and suddenly you're averaging, you know, 18 points per game efficiently. And uh, he makes good passes and he, and he played solid defense from what I saw. I haven't seen um, a ton of like his defensive tape at, at Loyola Chicago, but I, I'm a fan going forward. Um, and he's someone who I would consider sort of in that pre-drafting mold uh, late second. But I think the best thing for him would be kind of, you know, play play the course and <clears throat> eventually get himself uh, at, into someone who could potentially be a first rounder down the line. 
Yeah, I think I think for sure that's that's kind of in my my view on St. Thomas is uh, the best thing for him. I mean, unless he goes ballistic in conference play, which even then I think he'd probably have to do well in the NCAA tournament, to be honest, because I don't think people are going to care about Horizon League play that much. Um, you know, it, it's not going to matter as much just, as most just you and me, Chip. Just you. And me. <laughs> but I mean, I think I think for me, like if I'm a GM right now, I am like pleading with St. Thomas, be like, please declare that we will draft you. We will give you play time next year. Like declare, go in. And if you can like snipe him in the second round, it's just phenomenal value. But I, I think it's definitely a case where like the best thing for him is going to be to go back. Yeah. I'm with you. I think that there's a lot of like um, comparison in terms of like how they were, how they were ranked and, and what they can do long-term like uh, Dylan Brooks, different players, but kind of that similar mold. Um, and Brooks is obviously, you know, he's made some money. Uh, Coop Stone, do you guys have any any St. Thomas takes? All right. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Stone. I was just going to say I've, I've never seen St. Thomas play basketball, so I don't want to pretend like I have and say anything that I shouldn't. Yeah. And I, I'll say, too, I, I've only really kind of seen his high school tape, and that was mostly when I was uh, scouting Hunter Salas preseason, and, and he kind of stood out. And like I said, PD had mentioned him as someone to – uh, keep an eye on. So he's going to be really interesting going forward. I think that Loyola Chicago is a great fit for him. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely, he fills that kind of pre-draftable mold of, you know, someone like maybe like an F.A. Abagidi should have been last year where you, where you kind of pre-draft them though. He hasn't really had the sophomore leap. Anyways, anyways, before I get too far down a rabbit hole, Coop, I believe it is your turn. So you have three guys here and go ahead and pick one. Uh, so I'll just get the one that's the most, uh, on brand out of the way and I'll go with Tajay Moore uh, he's sort of a positionless 6-5 though I'd say he's really 6-4 guy wing E uh, he's a super defender who can do basically whatever you want on the defensive end for a guy his size he can lock up at the point of attack shoots passing lanes really well uh, he's even shown some moments as a weak side rim protector where he will sprint out of the corner when he recognizes a play developing and swat the crap out of, you know, somebody going up. Uh, he's a super vicious dunker and cutter, uh, especially in transition after he shoots the, shoots the passing lane. But he hasn't been as much of a, a driver as he was at Cal State, uh, where he was more focused on as a, as a primary guy. He hasn't really gotten to the line as much this year, but he has shown in years past that he's been able to get there at a pretty good rate. Uh, he's really improved as a shooter. Uh, he started off as a, as a freshman and was pretty awful. Uh, and spoiler, he's old, which is uh, bad for the brand. He's really old. He's a fifth-year fifth year senior. But uh, I'm thinking of him less in like a – take this guy and develop him as a prospect and more of a, I think this guy could come onto a contending NBA team and do something or a good NBA team, like an NBA team that has aspirations of actually winning games and contribute something. And he's like, when you watch the UH defense with him on the floor versus him off the floor, the difference is tangible. Like when they, and he's on the floor, the other team looks so flustered and they're throwing these bad passes that he's then picking off or he's bothering some guy who's 6'10 into, you know, or he sends, throws down a, a double. And I mean, he completely destroyed Alabama when he touched the floor. 
uh, he, so they run, they would, they do this thing where they get wide open shots in the corner, basically every single time down the floor. And Tajay got, so that he starts the game, he gets in, he didn't come until late cause he's been injured and, uh, he gets in and they throw that pass and he picks it off. He's the only one who on the whole team who sees it before it happens, picks off the pass to the corner, easy money, pulls that three different times in the game and just completely disrupts what Alabama was doing. Uh, and it like nobody else on the floor or when I've watched an Alabama game has sniffed it out that easily. Um, He's really tough. He's been fighting through an injury, which isn't something that I'm like, oh, yeah, he's tough as nails. But NBA teams love that shit. They, they, they eat it up. Uh, he's got a 5.6 block rate and a 3.9 steal rate. Um, and the only other guys to match those at below 6.6 are Michael Weathers out of SMU and Raekwon Evans out of Florida State. Um, so, I mean, pretty great company. Josiah Jordan James is also on there but uh, he's not, he's not for today. It's another one of my babies, but uh, he's, he's scaled up and down. I think he can really do like the kind of stuff that NBA teams want these really active defensive wings to do. And, you know, if he hits 36% from three, I think he's shown that he's like actually a value add, which is what you want from these older guys that you try to bring in. Like, I think there's a lot to like with, with Tajay Moore. I don't know if I see NBA. He's a he's a sixth year senior. He's not just a super senior. He is a super duper senior because he he redshirted after his freshman year, guessing injury, but still. Um, the 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 block and steal rate really do stand out. Those are super impressive, and those are pretty consistent. Um, like if you look through his numbers at Cal State Bakerfield, uh, my thing is right now he's shooting. Um, 32% from three um, as a six-year senior who's only 6'4". It's just, it's just so hard. You know, it, it, like the only guy I can think of who's made it in the NBA and is only averaging five points per game in college is Juan Toscano Anderson. And Juan Toscano Anderson is like three inches taller than Tajay Moore. So I, I hold out hope. I think he's a really fun defender like you said, and there's always a chance for someone who's that type of athlete and that type of defender, if they can just like learn to hit those corner threes. But uh, I, I'm not, I'm not where you are, Coop. He, he's like my, my fifth or sixth there prospect on UH. So, uh, you know, take that for good and for bad. Uh, Chip Stone, do you guys have any thoughts on Tajay? I would love Tajay to be in this class because I just want all those Chris Duarte jokes again, but about Tajay. Um, no, I, in all seriousness, I do think he's a really good defender. Like I've seen some point of attack stuff that's really impressive to me. Um, I'm a big proponent of like guys who are special as point of attack guys. I think Tajay can be that. Apart from that, like Bryce is saying, I don't really see NBA with him. Um, I, He's just not that to me. Uh, the offense, um, just off the synergy profile, it's, it's really rough. He's like six for 16 off the dribble. Um, there's on, uh, excuse me, on spot ups, he's in the 57th percentile. Um, and it, it's just not, not great for him. Um, but, you know, defensively, like I said, if he can really hang his hat and be like special on that end, 
I feel like there's a very, very like slim road that he can go down towards as an end of the bench sort of NBA guy. I just, it's very, very hard to reach that threshold in my opinion. How good can a shorter Devontae Kaycock be? <laughs> the Page Moore question. Uh, no, but um, I, I hope the best for him. It's always a fun story when someone who uh, just is, was a role player in college is just so good at that role they could do it in the NBA. Um, and, and I'm hopeful. Um, it's my turn. Uh, so I think I'm going to start with Tyler Burton from Richmond. Um, Tyler Burton was not someone who I really knew coming into the year, really at all. Um, when I thought of Richmond, I thought of Grant Golden and Jacob Gilliard. And last year, uh, Blake Francis, I think was his name. Um, those were kind of the guys that came to mind. Uh, he averaged 12 points per game last year, was sort of their starting three, um, but has really has really taken a leap this year. Uh, he is six seven, so you know, obviously hits that threshold for me. I, I like wings, I like them when they're that big. Um, right now he's shooting 45% from three on five and a half attempts per game. Um, and those are pretty high difficulty shots. Um, he is uh, they're not all high difficulty. Like he gets a lot of easy shots through their system in the corner and he's, he's a really effective corner shooter, but he takes quite a few kind of above the break off DHO shots. Um, the, the issue with him, you could say, is that he's almost purely a play finisher right now. He's averaging only 0.8 assists per game. And uh, he's not, you know, he doesn't really have a role as a playmaker. Um, he has some games where it stands out a little more. He makes sort of pretty obvious corner skips, but it's still a corner skip from a six, seven guy shooting 45% from three, who's pretty athletic. So there's something there. Um, I, I'm a fan. I think Burton is the type of guy uh, I would take a bet on in the late first, early second, because like he just, there's such a clear path to value in the NBA for him. It's continue to shoot at, at an adequate level, be athletic as a slasher, as a cutter and defend. Uh, I think the defense is good on ball and it's, it's pretty bad off ball, but I think that's sometimes what you expect from six, seven guys who have been elite athletes their whole life. Uh, I think, I think the main question with him is like, how real is this shooting? Because he doesn't really have a track record as a shooter from his freshman year to his sophomore year. He jumped 10 full percentage points from 26% to 36%. And he's basically doing that again to almost 46%. Um, you know, how much of that is real? How much is hot shooting? I don't think we're going to know. College seasons aren't long enough to really get a representative shooting sample. Uh, I like the form a lot. I think uh, he has good energy transfer. It's a bit like kind of one and a half motion, but that's fine because he has high release. Um, and he's pretty comfortable hopping or, or one, two stepping into it. So. I, I'm a fan of Burton. He's definitely the type of guy if I'm like, you just you just take a bet on this guy and hope they're going to develop. Uh, so I don't know if you guys have seen any Burton, but uh, go ahead and, and add if you have any. Sweet. I uh, I don't know what I expected. Um, I would really recommend cool. watching. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chip. This is really cool, Bryce. <laughs> I would recommend watching him because I, especially Coop, like Coop, you're going to like him, even though he's not an active off ball defender. And I know you hate that, but he, he has, he's had cool blocks against really unathletic players. So like, there's that. Um, but I, I just think, I don't know, like, like if the shooting is real, the athleticism looks pretty impressive, specifically as a cutter. Um, he even shoots some passing lanes and gets out in transition. It's just, when you're six seven and you shoot good and you're athletic, like 
you just have it's just like it's it's a really easy projection to the next level. And he's averaging 18 points per game on uh 66.2% true shooting. Like, I don't know, there's there's something there. So uh <laughs> since since that is all uh on Tyler Burton, uh Stone, you are up with one of your three guys. Yes, I am, Bryce. I'm going to go with uh, Kerr Kreisa, I think. Um, I don't know how much of, like, an underrated name he is at this point. Uh, I feel like a lot of people, you know, have seen enough of him to be impressed to have him on uh, top 60, at least on most places. For me, I think it's he's going to be similar to, like, a Yoko Vedas in the last cycle where he's um, like a top-end sort of priority backup point guard that I like to target at the beginning of the second round. Um, I, I'll probably – it's going to be tough for me to not have him at top 40, I think, this year. Uh, he just does so many things offensively um, that it, it, it's a lot of fun to watch, but it's also, like, really cool to see how he works both on and off ball. Um, he's a really good shooter both on and off ball, especially when he starts like getting in a rhythm and it gets going. He's one of those guys that can sort of catch fire. Um, I think he's got a really nice touch as well, like on floaters and runners from what I had seen. Uh, there's a lot of interesting things he could do in the mid range because of that. Uh, pick and roll too. He doesn't get necessarily the opportunity, I think on Arizona that I would like him to as a pick and roll operator, but I think there's some like untapped upside there where he's in the 95th percentile currently as a pick and roll operator. And I think that that's just sort of indicative of, you know, in a larger capacity, what he may be able to do. Um, not Maybe not quite at that level, but uh, there's a lot there to like in terms of how he can make sort of more simplistic passes outside of the pick and roll, um, but also the shots that he can get from it as well. Uh, defensively is where the, the main concern lies. He's 6'3", um, maybe. <laughs> yeah probably closer to like six one um and yeah he's he's just too small on defense uh off ball i think he's actually a decent tracker um he generally like stays okay with his man but on ball is just rough he gets blown by way too easily uh he's too small he'll get bullied taken to the rim um again it's a matter of kind of how much you value guard defense uh but in this case there's there's definitely an avenue where where Kreese is a, a detriment to his team on that end. Um, often too, like I'm saying, on and off ball, he's a really good shooter. So uh, if you value sort of guard creation, uh, both from the perimeter mostly, uh, I think I think Kreese is the guy for you. And as a backup point guard, I feel like he sort of meets all the boxes that you want to check uh, for like a high level. Um, second unit operator. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> pardon. Uh, Kirk Kreese is really, he's, he's someone that I've actually seen because he plays at a big school with other big prospects. So I've, I've seen him doing that. And I think, um, you know, he, I think he's the kind of guy that a lot of teams look at with a backup point guard where they, they just kind of get them into sets and like they, they generally make pretty good decisions and they like space the floor and they can kind of, you know, get to some spots. And I think that coaches really like that because it's really reliable and it's really nice. And I think, you know, Arizona has been a phenomenal team this year. I mean, they, they genuinely may be one of the best teams in the country at this point. And I mean, Kirk Reese is kind of the engine that makes that whole thing kind of run because, you know, Coloco and Matherin maybe are the bigger names at this point, but, you know, 
the person who's getting them into those actions because those two aren't really, you know, massive on-ball presences. So, I mean, it occurs like the guy who kind of makes that thing run, and, I mean, that's got to count for something. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty big Crease fan. I'll get to see him in person later this year, and I'm both excited and terrified for that because uh, I feel like Arizona's going to roll over my kooks, but we'll see how that goes. Um, I think my worry with Crease is less the defense because uh, we know where I stand on guard defense, but it's more that – Right now, almost 80% of his shots are from three. And that's that's fine. Like, if that's, like, his NBA percentage and he's just, like, Patty Mills, basically, cool. Like, that's cool. But it's, like, I just feel like he never gets to the rim. There's some highlights of him having, like, cool, crazy, crafty finishes, and those are awesome. But, like, if you're not getting there consistently, it doesn't really matter that you can finish there. You know, it's kind of the Ty Ty Washington thing. It's like, it's, it's nice that you have all this craft, but if you can't really get there, it doesn't matter. Um, but I'm with you as like a backup point guard bet, you know, five assists to, to one and a half turnovers, pretty awesome. That's, I, you know, I know some people like to see somewhat high turnovers, but if I'm drafting a backup point guard, I'd rather not see high turnover rates. Um, and I, like, I, I think the shooting is better than, is he shooting like 35% for three right now? I think the shooting is better than that number. I thought there was, a legitimate chance he was like a special shooter coming into his freshman year. I thought he was going to be one and done last year. Um, he wasn't. He ended up uh, getting hurt, I believe. Uh, but he's looked really good. I think he's going to, you know, he might not be a this year guy. I, I kind of hope he is because I think there's real value for a team that would draft him late second if if he goes this year. But I think there's a chance, you know, in the next couple of years, like he's really bursting onto the scene as uh, one of the better point guards in college basketball. Yeah, and I think um, the only other thing I'll say is with the shooting, some of the I, – I do agree that the numbers are probably not indicative. I think he's a better shooter probably than, than those numbers say. But um, there are some instances where he's got, like, some just really bad misses. Like, they're, like, super short or they'll clank off the back of the rim, things like that, which sort of seem uncharacteristic when you watch him a lot. Uh, but it's just something, you know, that – we always sort of keep our eye on a little bit because generally you don't want to see misses that badly, um, especially for somebody labeled as a shooter. Um, And yeah, like you're saying, getting to the rim is sort of an issue. Uh, I do think he's got some shift to him as a ball handler, like change of direction wise. Um, I think change of pace is a little bit of another story and his height probably limits to how much, how efficient that change of pace can be against like NBA defenders. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, the other thing too, is he's a really, sorry, there's, there's more, there's more Crisa notes that I have on him as I'm looking on, um, he's really good too, at using the screens that he's given offensively, like Arizona runs those two big lineups and he's really good at using offensively those screens that he's given to get himself, um, step backs, which he's really able to create space with despite his size, but also, um, he's able to sort of find the roller if, if there is one, uh, cause he's just a really good decision maker. So, um, yeah, that's the end of my crisis spill. I won't, I'll, I'll save the rest for another pod, but, uh, I am really in on him as a backup. His, his chemistry with Coloco is really fun. I'll, I'll say that to finish it off. Like he has a really good feel for where Coloco wants the ball. Um, and I think that works really well for, for Arizona. Um, it is back to chip and, as he's saving his his final guy for last, I know it's going to be Mike Miles. Uh, so Chip, take it away. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Mike Miles is a really interesting one. He is um, a sophomore this year, but he's going to be 19 on draft day, so he's kind of freshman-aged, I suppose. Um, so, I mean, the thing with Mike Miles for me is he's the point guard at uh, TCU, um, and I think the first time that I kind of got introduced to Mike Miles, because last year was kind of my, my first year doing draft stuff, so I wasn't, I wasn't getting that deep into it. But so for me, when I was looking at chat film, um, I noticed watching the USA U19 team, watching a lot of Mike Miles there. And I think it was really interesting for me because when you looked at the, the Team USA U19 World Cup roster um, that won the gold medal, you had uh, Mike Miles, Kennedy Chandler, Jaden Ivey, and um, Miller from U of I taking up most of the guard minutes. That was kind of their, their four-man unit at the guards. They were all kind of around 20 minutes per game and kind of filled the entire guard rotation. And I think when you look at the numbers, like uh, Jaden Ivey was at like 12 points, three rebounds, two assists, about two turnovers. And Kenny Chandler was at like about eight points, three rebounds, three assists and two turnovers. And Mike Miles at nine points, three rebounds, four assists and one turnover. So, I mean, he was on the same team in the same exact context as Jaden Ivey and Kennedy Chandler. And I mean, his performance was on a pretty similar level to those two. So, I mean, I think that's something that kind of stands out. I don't think he's, near as good of a prospect as the other two but I do think that like the gap between you know most second round point guards and Mike Miles is maybe you know a little bit uh, bigger than a lot of guys I think you know I always think it's really nice when you get to see a prospect play in like multiple different contexts and it kind of helps you get a better better grasp on them as players and we saw Mike Miles in a context that's the same as two other guard prospects he's probably not as good as but his performance was pretty solid I mean he was best in terms of assists and turnovers at the bunch. So, I mean, that's pretty nice. Um, he's listed at 6'2", 195. I feel like he's probably like 6'1", 195 maybe. He's not the biggest, but he's kind of got, like, he's got a strong frame. And, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, he's got broad shoulders, like somewhat wide hips, and, you know, you've got that low center of gravity, and there's a lot of power when they move, similar to, you know, kind of like maybe Davion or Donovan Mitchell. It's not quite that level of athlete, but, you know, he's super powerful when he's moving despite being really small. And it kind of helps him, you know, he, he's really good at getting paint touches. Um, the one thing I will say with his finishing is that this man loves going to the left side of the basket and finishing with inside with his right hand. And when he goes to the rim, every single time he is trying to get to the left side of the basket so he can finish with his inside right hand every time. And I mean, that's definitely something you gotta, you gotta work on, but I mean, he does have really, really big games. He had a 28 point game against Utah where he kind of explodes. And this year his, his efficiency numbers are a little bit wonky, but I think there's a little bit of context kind of bogging that down. So right now he's shooting 37% from the field overall, 28% from three and 79% from the line. So I mean, he's at that about 80% mark and he was there last year from the free throw line. And he takes a solid amount of attempts. He gets to the line a lot. So, I mean, there's obviously that positive indicator with the shooting. One thing I will say is currently he is at 42.4% on his twos. He is six of 22 on floaters. Very bad at floaters. Takes a lot of them, though. If you just remove the floaters, he's at 47.6% on his twos, which is a lot better. So, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, the easiest thing when you get a prospect to change is their role, right? And if you kind of just tell him, hey, don't take floaters as like a slight role tweak. I suppose that would help. And I do think something else that's relevant is that uh, Texas Christian university currently ranks 320th in the country in three point percentage. 
at 27.9%. Part of it's definitely Mike's fault because, I mean, he is shooting like, what is it, 28.9%. So he's marginally above average for the team, but not great. So I mean, he's definitely a contributor to that problem. But I do think the, the contextual spacing kind of holds down a little bit of what he's doing and it makes the paint kind of clogged and, you know, players are able to help along the perimeter, which means his threes aren't necessarily as open. And I mean, a lot of his three point makes this season have been from like legitimate NBA range, because if he's not standing an extra step or two behind the college three point line, there's just going to be someone else helping on the perimeter because there's not other shooters with gravity on his team. And I think it also kind of pops up with his passing right now. He's averaging about like four and a half assists per game. And when you watch him pass, like, he is like manipulating angles and velocity and he's able to get to his spots and that kind of pulls defenses and collapses defenses. And, you know, he, he's really comfortable throwing one-handed whip passes extremely quickly with his right hand. Um, so, I mean, I think passing wise, he's a bit better than maybe the numbers currently suggest just because he's on a team that just doesn't really score a ton of points and does not really space the floor particularly well. But I mean, when you've got a guy who's probably going to be, he's, he's probably not a first round pick. He's probably going to be a second round pick this year who can get paint touches as a point guard, can make passes, has played in multiple contexts and performed just as well as other top prospects. And, you know, he's a second year college guy, but really he's 19. So, I mean, I think for me, and also like he's a very high motor guy. The guy does not stop running. That's one thing with Kennedy Chandler. A lot of people have noted is like, when he's off ball offensively, he still does not stop moving. And Mike Miles is a really similar way where even when he's off ball, he does not stop moving. And on defense, it translates. He pressures the ball pretty relentlessly at the point of attack, which is pretty nice. Yeah, I actually like Miles quite a bit as a backup point guard bet. Um, you know, only four assists per game, but I think a number that stands out to, to highlight that he's a better passer than that is that he's a 28.6%. Uh, assist percentage um, so that just kind of shows like you know even though it's only four assists per game that's that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of the makes that are happening on the floor well or happening while he's on the floor for KCU or is either him scoring or him assisting yeah so his assist is percentage is uh, higher than the team's three-point percentage that's yeah that kind of uh, that kind of undersells uh, exactly how how sort of bad this context is for him not necessarily like as a player growth wise, but to show off his, like his uh, stat sheet to, to uh, other guys. You know what I mean? Like, like, I think this is a fine context for him to sort of develop in because he probably does need that range. And, and uh, I, I like that he has to have the, he has to have the ball all the time because um, I think there's, there's a world where as a backup point guard, sometimes the way you provide value is just by, being someone who for 12 minutes a game can run a pick and roll every time down the floor. I mean, that's why TJ McConnell's still in the league. He can't shoot. He's like a good defender, uh, but he's probably a little overrated by the steals numbers. It's just that for, you know, 12 to 20 minutes a game, depending on what you need, he can run a pick and roll every single time down the floor. And it's like, okay, offense. So I think that could be Mike Miles in the future. And I think there's a lot to like there. And again, just that the value of paint touches is so incredibly high for NBA offenses with NBA spacing that uh, he's someone who I think could really, could really fill in nicely as a backup point. I like him better than Nigel Pack. Sorry, Stone. Oh, you're off the pod. Um, no, I do. I do like Mike Miles, but the shooting is like a very, very real concern for me. Um, I'm just not sure that he's going to be able to be an NBA level backup if he can't even get to like average as a shooter. 
Um, and some numbers that sort of illustrate this is he's like 29% on all of his jumpers so far this season, 27% on uh, any off the dribble shots, um, catch and shoot, he's 32%. Uh, there's just a lot of things. And, and like um, Chip was saying, he's six for 16 on floaters. Just all the indicators you generally look for for any sort of shooting uh, to help sort of boost your case just aren't there right now for Mike Miles. Uh, I think some of it will rise as the season goes on a little bit. I'm not sure this level is is sort of sustainable for the entirety of the season, uh, but the, the shooting is a major red flag for me, and I'm not sure if he can't ever even get to average as a shooter, that he'll be able to be like a viable backup. I do. The 80% free throw mark is pretty. Yeah. Pretty, and I'll, on high volume too. Yeah. Yeah. And he's really good at staying under control on drives. That was what really stood out to me is that he never, he doesn't slip around on the floor. He's not like falling and flinging stuff up. He always like is able to do what he's going to do and doesn't really get knocked off his spots. Going back to what you're talking about. He's so powerful. The guys just can't get him, you know, they can't stop him from getting where he wants to go. And that's kind of the most impressive thing to me and NBA teams, uh, Another thing they just love is aggressive small guards. If you're a, if you're a small guard and you're not aggressive, you're not you're not touching an NBA floor. So he's got the he's got the stuff that you need to be a small guard in the NBA. Yeah, I mean the core strength is uh, fellow former TCU Horn Frog Desmond Bain levels, <laughs> uh, in my opinion. So uh, really just strong motherfucker right there. Um, Coop, I believe you are up with whoever you want to go with next. Uh, I'll get to uh, one of my – I'll just get to Adama Sanogo, okay? Uh, right. Yeah, I, I'm here for Chip to slander me. It's okay. Um, it's a friendly slandering, I hope, so I can take it. I will say that I had promised Chip in the DMs uh, before this podcast that I would help double team on you. So, uh, for no, what? No pressure. <laughs> oh, this is brutal. I don't know what I did to Stone. But uh, no, the, I had to be the, nice up to our guest. So okay, okay, okay. that's fair. That's fair. Um, the thing with Sonogo is that he's a very functional athlete. Uh, he's like six nine. Plays at UConn. He's two forty. I want to say, um, yeah, two forty five, two forty. Um, and when the touch shows the like on on little push hooky shots, it shows. When he has the little soft touch going, it looks incredible. He looks like Jermaine O'Neal out there. Uh, when it's not going and he has blocks for hands, it's going nowhere near the rim. It's clanking off there. It's There's just a really weird discrepancy. Um, but like when it's going in and he's eight feet away from the basket flicking the ball, it's, it's a really tempting flash. Um, what he's shown, he's had some flashes as a cutter where he just barrels down the lane and guys literally can't do anything because he's six foot nine with long arms and strong, uh, and he's able to just get to the rim. Um, he he had some trouble last season getting to the line. He's gotten to the line as many times in eight games this season, though, as he did in 23 games last season. Um, and he's hitting free throws at a 77% clip this year compared to like 
think it was like 61 last year, uh, something like that. Or 57, even worse. But um, I don't know which is real. I imagine it's somewhere in the middle. I don't think he's actually a good shooter. I don't think he'll ever get there. But if he can, if the touch can become really consistent and he's able, he's a really strong screener. And when they run him in a screen and roll, there's just not anything anybody can do. Um, it's really, his big problems are he can't catch the ball. And sometimes the touch looks awful. Um, he's got a 6.8 block rate this year, which is pretty, pretty good. Uh, and he had a 6% block rate last season. So it's not like he's, Bryce, I'm going to need you to shut up. No, I'm just going to interrupt you and say, you said his big problem was that he can't catch the ball. <laughs> so his, his, his role. That's, that's he's a pure rim runner who can't catch. No, okay. That's, you can teach a kid to catch. It's not, it's not a hard skill to learn. Okay. Um, we're going to be Golden optimistic. State Warriors. <laughs> well, the Golden State Warriors think that James Wiseman is like the next coming of Kareem. That's the problem. They, they can get at. They think he's a once in a generation prospect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's James Wiseman. They think he's worth a number two overall selection. They don't they're, see that his, his problem is they're underrating their best the prospect in Moses Moody too. So uh, you know, catch yeah. that TikTok yeah. for us. But no, uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Get back, get back yeah. to trying to sell this player. You absolutely cannot possibly sell to the three it's of us. There's just no way, man. Dude, of all the, of look, all the, look, 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 like, look. There's like one two other prospects on UConn who are more on brand for listen, us than Sonogo, and listen, you didn't pick either of them. That guard is so good. Just be quiet, okay? Please, I'm, I need my moment. There's, there's one other prospect who I have ever seen who's ever learned to catch the ball, okay? That's Clint Capella. Okay, Clint Capella, when he came into the league, could not catch a ball. It's the worst thing that has ever happened. You teach that man to catch a ball, he's averaging 16 points a game for his career, something like that. I don't know. But that was literally, when he came into the league, that was Clint Capella's problem, was he's a pick and roll big who can't catch a ball. <laughs> and maybe this is this – is, what's the, the form of bias where you see, you only see the survivors of like the survivorship bias. Yeah. Survivorship bias. I, I had it and I just missed it. It's probably survivorship bias here, but I really like Sonogo's functional athleticism and at least, you know what his problem is and it's, it's one problem. So uh, he also grabbed offensive boards really good. So that, that's my sell on Sonogo. I, I hope People actually listen after Bryce laughing at me. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure any of us could have put it any better, Coop. I That's... think. Uh, I think we're all sold. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing that could be really big for Snowgo is if you know. I think Coop made a good thing with the Clint Capella comparison. If his wingspan could grow six inches longer to match Capella's, okay, okay, buddy, would... okay, <laughs> he could maybe be a prospect. No, I mean, I think, I think. My problem with Sonogo is he's an undersized center whose highlight game involved him having eight turnovers to one assist and putting up 30 points on 26 two-point field goal attempts. Um, we are going to move on to Julian Strother. Uh, Julian Strother is playing at Gonzaga. Uh, someone who I was really into coming into the season. 
talked about him with, with PD on our uh, sort of interesting context pod. And I'm just, I've always been a huge fan. I like funky wings who do cool, weird stuff. And I think that is Strother to a T. Um, he's really figured out the jump shot. I think that's always been his question. It's like, what level of passer is uh, Strother or passer shooter is Strother? Um, shooting 41% right now on about five and a half attempts per game. And it looks really good. It looks really solid. He's, he's always had like insane touch. Like he can make really, really insane floaters and touch finishes around the rim. And he's, he's finally sort of extended that out. Um, I think the passing is better than where the numbers indicate. Uh, in high school, he played a lot more on ball, and I thought the passing looked really good. He's just not really being asked to do that with Gonzaga. Um, your worry with Strother is that I think the defense is, like, borderline horrendous. Um, only a 1.6% steal rate and a 0.37% block rate. Um, those are pretty bad. Uh, he is a solid rebounder. I don't know. He's, he's interesting. He's someone who I find really interesting. It's sort of a question of how much value can like a good off-ball wing bring to a team if they're a bad defender. And I'm sort of interested to see that question answered. I think he has a real shot. He might, again, this might be another guy who doesn't leave after this year because I imagine if Chet, Timmy, and Nemhard all leave, I mean, it's going to be the Strother and Hickman show next year. So uh, sign me up for that for one because those are like my guys, especially Nolan Hickman. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I, I'm interested in Strother and this is another guy who's on like a bigger team. So I'm sure you guys have seen him. So if you have any Julian Strother uh, thoughts, go ahead and jump in. A very, very big fan of Julian Strother. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Julian Strother. I think he is, uh, an extremely good shooter, um, this season, especially he's really shown it out. Um, he's off the, uh, off the ball. He's really, uh, found comfort in being able to pull up in transition, pull up in, uh, a, a variety of ways. I think, um, there's a play, I forget who is against where, uh, someone swings it to him and he's got two defenders coming at him. He makes the right read and passes it back. And then uh, I believe it was Timmy and he passes it straight back to Strother and Strother hits a three. Just making the right decisions on the perimeter is something that I think Strother really excels at. Uh, defensively, like Bryce is saying, it's really bad. Um, off ball, especially, he's very slow to react, very slow to get in position, gets out of position quite a lot, gets stuck in no man's land. Um, and then on ball, he's just not technical, uh, doesn't have the, technical feel or ability uh, on ball. So um, it is really tough, but at the end of the day, he's like a six, seven, six, eight guy who's big enough to where it's not super hard to hide him on that end. Uh, if you really, you know, get creative as a coach uh, offensively, like I'm saying, he, he does everything you want from the perimeter. I'm not sure how much I buy him being able to like get his own shot to the rim uh, but at least out on the perimeter, he creates space quite a bit for himself. And I really like that about him. Uh, finishing wise too, it's something that really stood out in high school is that he can finish in pretty much like every way possible. He's got some of the weirdest, most unorthodox finishes there are. If you watch a lot of his high school film and like Bryce is saying, it sort of extends out now to, uh, to further on the court. So 
I've really liked what I've seen offensively from Strother. I actually don't think he's much of a sleeper for me. I would consider having him in the late first at this point. Uh, but the defense is, is very concerning for me. Go ahead, Chip, if you have something to say. Oh, I mean, I mean, I think my thing with Julian Strother was like last year, I think the big thing was like, oh, well, if he can figure out the shot, then like that's like a guy, right? And I think this year's kind of at a realization where he's figured out the shot and it's like, okay, well, now the pitch to sell him is like, well, he's a good shooter. And it's like, I don't really know what else he does because like he doesn't really have great assist numbers or steal numbers or block numbers. He's not really the best defensive player. He's a pretty solid rebounder um, for size. And I mean, it's kind of like, it just feels like last year it was like, oh, well, we just need to get this guy to shoot. And then he's a guy. And now it's like, he can shoot. And it's like, all right, well, he can shoot, but he doesn't really do a lot of other things. So he's like sort of a guy. And it's just like, I feel like some prospect that was billed is like, oh, well, if he can shoot. And then we're at a point where we're like, wow, he can really shoot now. And it's still like, oh, well. So I think that's kind of what causes pause with me for Strother. But I mean, I think his offensive skill like is an on ball slash off ball. I mean, just as a score is pretty enticing. And I think it definitely warrants like draft merit. And I think he's the type of guy that could go really low and some team gets incredible value. And it's like, wow, how did everyone miss this guy? But at the same time, I think there's like a very real possibility where he ends up as like a late first, early second guy and just does not do things at the NBA level. Yeah, I think he's definitely someone who I'm, what I'm most interested to see is how his role evolves. It's like, like, if he leaves after this year and he gets drafted, like, good for him, obviously. I'm never going to tell a kid they should go back. But for my own evaluation purposes, like, I really want to see him go back to Gonzaga and what his role was going to look like when, you know, Timmy isn't taking as much usage as he is and Nemhard isn't. And it's and it's basically going to be, like, him. I'm assuming Salas leaves, too. Like, it's basically going to be him and Hickman and then whoever Gonzaga brings in. Um, and I think, like, he has a real path to being, like, you know, like the player of the year in his conference by by his junior or senior season. And, you know, maybe he he fills in like a like a Doug McDermott type college career that he can then turn into a to an NBA role. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm like, he's just interesting. And I'm always like, you're six, seven and you're funky as shit. And like, I don't know, I'm interested. I think there's probably like I said, I think the passing is probably better than the numbers right now. And like the craft is really there. So, you know, could he be like a bench scoring guy? He doesn't like fit that traditional archetype. And I don't know, maybe like he doesn't have a real archetype. He's just kind of, he's funky. And, and that interests me. But uh, I think that's that's probably good on Strother. So Stone, you are back up. Stone, you're muted. <laughs> what a mess. <laughs> Poor Chip thinks we've like never done. He's recorded with Chuck, who's like the most professional. He's like the god. Of and then, yeah, he's stuck with us who are like literally a bunch of children. Anyways, yeah. go ahead, Stone. So it is my turn to sell you on an actual rim runner. Um, I'll try and sell you on Charles Bediaco, uh, who's got really good size. He's 7'1 with a massive wingspan, um, at least like 7'4, probably longer than that. Uh, he moves very well for his size, uh, especially in transition where he's able to turn blocks often into transition plays and run to the other end of the court for J.D. Davidson or him to finish with a thunderous dunk. Uh, 
he has absolutely zero touch outside of like four feet uh, that he's been that way for the past three years. It'll probably never change. Um, but think, uh, and I'm not one for comparisons, but think very much like a JaVale McGee type guy who literally can't do anything but dunk and block shots. It, Charles Bediaco is that. Um, he's super long, uses it really well. Uh, he's never really going to be somebody that I think develops any other aspects of his game. But if you're looking for a rim runner, he does the two things well. He's very good in the dunker spot, very productive, generally makes the right decision. He's not going to shoot when he's smothered. Um, unless it's on putbacks, he often will get the offensive rebound and just put it right back up no matter how much defense is on him. Uh, that's something he's going to have to iron out, I think. But uh, generally speaking, he makes the right decision in terms of um, when to shoot and when to just pass it out to the perimeter, not playing really beyond himself. Uh, defensively, he is, uh, I think, a really good rim protector, but you don't really want him outside of like four or five feet uh, outside because he's going to get beat. He's just not a very good lateral mover. Does he? Uh, protect you know much of the court outside of that painted area uh, but he does take up space really well within that painted area so the two things that I think you really want from a rim runner Bediaco does really well I just don't think there's any other real aspect to his game that he can add or has shown flashes of at this point in time are you at all worried about the uh pretty poor rebounding um yes and no like a lot of the um the defensive things that you see from him, like when he's protecting the paint, he really holds his own with like his lower body. He's got really good lower body strength. So I think like the working, the makings are there for him to become like a good rebounder. And I think rebounding is something that is probably one of the more easier traits for an NBA player, especially someone as big as him to sort of uh, better themselves at, I guess you could say. Uh, right now, he is not very good at tracking the ball off the rim. I think that's sort of his biggest issue and where a lot of those rebound concerns me why. Um, that's probably what he's got to better uh, do, but he can position himself pretty well because of his massive frame. And there's plays where, like, he just reaches over guys with his wingspan uh, to get those boards. So it's not a huge concern of mine just because of the physical traits that he has. All right. That's, that is – more than fair. I think that's probably plenty on Charles Bediaco. He's better than Adama Sinogo. Um, all right, Chip, it is time for you to completely just destroy me because I've never heard of this awesome potential first-round prospect. So go ahead. Well, I don't know about potential first round, but I, I've I've got a I've got a, I've got a guy. Um, I I'm really really surprised I found someone that uh, Bryce had not heard of. That, that was a uh, so I found Mr. Ben Vanderplas. He is a 23-year-old power forward. He's a redshirt senior. Um, well, will be 23 on draft day. Uh, he's 6'8", 230. Um, big white dude. Wears a headband. Classic college guy. Grew his hair out progressively throughout college type of thing. Um, and I mean, so I first noticed him when I was looking at Jason Preston tape last year at University of Ohio. And I kind of watched what Vanderplas does, and he does a lot of the things that I really like. I think, you know, oftentimes we can kind of forget about the little things in the sport. And, you know, Vanderplas does a really good job of, you know, he's got a strong frame, so he sets really good screens and he moves the ball well. And I think those kind of guys just make offense happen. And, you know, they really help a team be fluid. 
And um, the thing with him was he, he's not a great, he's not, he's not a terrible athlete. Like he's able to stay in front of guys. He's played, they played against Kentucky and he did a good job of staying in front of guys. Um, that game was really funny, but I'll get into that in a moment. Um, the thing with him was kind of like, okay, can he shoot? Like, can he really shoot? Because he's going to have to really shoot to be an NBA guy. And, you know, he was taking a good amount of attempts last year, but he was around like 35%. And, you know, when you project that up to the NBA, that's not necessarily, you know, where he needs to be at. And I mean, he's come out this year and he's shooting 41% on 9.1 attempts per 100 possessions. So, I mean, he's shooting the cover off the ball. And, you know, when you actually really go in and watch his attempts, like he is shooting from like multiple steps behind this. Like he is shooting from further than the NBA three-point line. He is shooting from very far away. Um, I don't really think he's got like the, the off movement stuff that you would think would be like, you know, projecting him as really like he's an NBA guy strictly because he shoots. He's not fast enough to create separation off ball. He doesn't really shoot off movement. He doesn't really, you know, he doesn't have the body control for that stuff, but that's okay because he does a couple other things really well. Um, he's a really good passer. His assist numbers right now are slightly inflated because it's his fourth year in the same system. And Ohio does like a super motion heavy offense. And, you know, there's a lot of screening, a lot of cutting and stuff. So, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, reads where he's just like very clearly like if this is his, you know, 120th game in Ohio system. So like he knows where this guy's going to be at this time in this set. And he's just making those reads, but there's like abstract passes where, you know, they're in transition or the play's broken down and he is making like good reads and advanced passes. So, I mean, he is definitely someone who I'm really confident can, you know, they can shoot, they can make connective passes and he's got good size. He's got solid screens. And I think the one thing, you know, defensively, he's pretty good at actually staying in front of his guy. And the one thing is he is a really good event creator. Like he has really good hand-eye coordination and he's very good at like timing when to use his hands on, you know, swipe downs and steals and stuff. He comes up with a lot of steals. Um, right now his steal percentage isn't super high, but I mean, I think he had like three steals in the Kentucky game and, you know, he like is playing against NBA kind of caliber athletes and he's actually, you know, doing things and keeping up with them, which I think is good. Uh, the Kentucky game is really, really funny because in the first half, he like uh, Oscar Shibway had two fouls. So he got sat really early and Ben Vanderplas just annihilated Kentucky. Like Ohio was winning by three, even though they're nowhere near as good of a team. And then um, because they were close in the game, they didn't want to take him out and he was on a heater. So he played all 20 minutes in the first half and he comes out in the second half. And this guy's not necessarily the greatest athlete per se, um, you know, and Second half, Oscar Shibway had played about one minute and then instantly sat with fouls. So he just had a fresh Oscar Shibway with a hell in a cell after he had just played 20 straight minutes as like the primary option. And the second half was not great because that's like a nightmare scenario for a guy with like somewhat questionable athleticism to just have, okay, yeah, you did good in the first half. Oscar Shibway is just going to follow you around and box you out every possession and try and steal the rebound. So, I mean, I think that game was just really a good watch from like, just like an, an entertainment standpoint at that. Cause I mean, this dude's just hitting 35 footers and then just getting fucking dunked on by Oscar Shibway. So, uh, you know, I think, I think if you, if you want to check out a prospect, that's a really good game to start with, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I think he's a connective passing wing who hits shots and creates enough events defensively to not be completely terrible. I mean, to be fair, I think being dunked on by Oscar Shuba isn't really a knock because that man is just a tank with legs at this point. 
Yeah, uh, we are not talking about Oscar Sheepway today, but he's definitely going to make the rounds as like, is he a prospect type type guy? Um, I will say I have not got the reason I had not heard of Ben Vander Plus is that I uh, have not got to the, I believe it's the Mid-Atlantic Conference. Yeah, the MAC. Yeah. You haven't gotten the MAC-tion? I have not. I have not got there with my stats dives. So uh, I'm a bit behind. It looks like uh, their top score is Mark Sears, who's a sophomore. So I'll have to give him a look too. But definitely, definitely on my list now uh, because, you know, you said he's he's six eight and he does some interesting stuff like brain goes Same off. There's something, there's, a, there's something there. All right, Coop, you are up with your last guy. Yeah, I, I like this guy a lot more than my last guy. Um, and but, uh, this is Harrison Ingram. Um, he, I've really liked his processing speed. Oh, I have to do the, I have to do a little bit. Uh, he went to, uh, St. Mark's in Dallas, uh, which was a team that, or it's a school. It's like a private school in Texas and they are really good at sports and they kicked their ass at water polo all the time. Um, and that was where I first heard, I was watching a Baylor game and I heard, oh, he went to St. Mark's and then I checked him out. Um, but he's six seven. Uh, he's super versatile. I really like his processing speed in moments when the the plays kind of break down. Um, he really shows that he knows what he's doing, uh, which has been really impressive. Um, he's got a plus wingspan. I don't know how exactly long it is, but it's definitely like plus. Um, he's got pretty good size. Like he's not a, a skinny six seven. Uh, he's a really good rebounder for his size, offensively and defensively. Um, he's really like almost a, like a really modern four where he can cover up for a lot of your, you know, the rest of your team's weaknesses. He's also been a pretty good uh, high assist, low turnover guy, um, which for like for the role for like a connecting forward, you that's what you want you don't want a connecting forward who's throwing like awful passes all the time because you just want him getting the ball to the guys who are really doing stuff with it and filling in the gaps uh he got really overwhelmed against Baylor uh he got like murdered um but he in return put Matt Meyer in Rikers so which isn't super it's not a great feat because he's Matt Meyer and not that good but, um, you know, it's good for a guy who's – he's got like four years on him and a couple inches. So you'll take it, especially because the defense was still there even when the offense really wasn't. So he's not like the kind of guy who is going to play poorly and then, you know, the, the rest of his game is going to be impacted. Um, he's not like a great stocks guy, uh, but he's good at staying glued to guys that are his size or bigger. Uh, it's good at staying on their hips. He was able to keep a body between Kendall Brown and the rim a few times in the Baylor game, uh, which is an impressive feat. Uh, he did have a lot of trouble against guards, though. Um, anybody smaller than him, like six, especially six, four and below guards who have real speed or burst. He, he's good at flipping his hips with them, but then he can't get he's not a, a great shot blocker. So they just get right to the rim. Uh, he can dribble with either hand but he can only finish with his right. Um, he prefers to get to the right side, but if you push him to the left, he's going to get this really weird side. I'm doing the visual thing again. 
Um, but he does a really awkward finish with his right hand instead of taking it up with his, with his left. Um, he's not a super advanced finisher, but it, it kind of works for him because he's strong and big. Um, and he uses his body well and is super fundamental. Uh, I think he has a real NBA role, which is part of the cell. You're 6'7". You can dribble, pass, and kind of shoot, even though the shot's really slow. When he's wide open, it goes in sometimes. Um, but that's kind of the sell is he's a connecting pass, dribble, shoot, wing forward who, you know, isn't really on a bunch of guys' radars. And if you can get that guy and, you know, teach him to shoot and speed up the release, you know, something NBA teams are really good at, uh, that's a pretty quality NBA player. No, I mean, I, I think – for, I think this is a really good one that Coop brought up. I think Harrison Ingram's going a little bit under the radar. And I think he's, he's genuinely like Harrison Ingram's a very, 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 very skilled player. Like he is extremely skilled. The one thing that I will say that really stands out with Harrison Ingram and Ben Vanderplas was not the worst vertical athlete mentioned in this. Harrison Ingram may have like a genuine seven inch. Like I have questions if he has a one foot vertical leap, he is like, it's it's weird because he's not necessarily a bad athlete. He just cannot jump. Like he, it's like Dewan was it Dewan Blair who couldn't really I don't know. He's got he's got some vertical pop concerns, and it's like for me it that's kind of the big thing with Harrison Ingram is it's like is the vertical pop so bad that it's going to completely limit him as a player, or is it at a point where it's going to be passable and he's going to be able to cover it up with skill because he is genuinely extremely skilled as a passer and ball handler? I think, yeah, it's, it's really interesting because Ingram is not like a super bad athlete. I wonder if he has some like body organization issues. I haven't watched deep enough, but that like the shot's really slow and that kind of points to that too. Like maybe he just struggles to kind of get like both feet down and move straight up, you know, like as, as weird as that sounds. Um, because like, I think laterally, he actually kind of impresses me uh, considering he's 6'8", 225. Um, also, you know, uh, upside swings brand definitely going to make my all handsome team for this draft because we know I love my thick boys. Um, and I just, I, he's super interesting. I think he has to shoot like, and he has to shoot really well. I mean, and the shot needs work because it does not look like it's going to make it at an NBA level, but he's, he's got some, he kind of like Julian Strother. He's got some funk to him. You know, he makes a couple plays a game where you're just like, Oh, okay. Like that's, that's really interesting. Plays a lot like, like Mason Jones. And uh, I find that really fun. So uh, I'm, I, I'm hopeful he makes it. And like, he's a really good player because the league is more fun with him in it, but there's always concerns about someone who it feels like their best role is, is maybe as like a star type player, but they don't fit like a, like a certain archetype for that. Um, so it's just kind of it's an interesting question. I'm, I'm really interested to see how he develops He's another guy who I'll get to see in person. So I'm um, excited for that. Uh, so, yeah, anyone else got anything else on uh, Harris Ingram? Nope, I think we're good. All right, so my last guy, um, there's a couple schools that you always just kind of bet on their players, right? Like, the, oh, I'm only thinking of one right now. That's Villanova. Um, there's others that I'm just blanking on. I, I actually, I, I tend to blame uh, Florida State, and then Houston is one where I usually bet on their guys too. Um, because I love Kelvin Sampson, but uh, Georgetown, one, uh, <laughs> you always bet on Georgetown, yes. Uh, uh, you know, Otto Porter's good, Otto Porter. 
Um, but Villanova is one of those one of those teams, and there's good reason for that. Uh, their their guys just always seem to kind of be NBA players. Um, they tend to spend a long time in their system, and they don't always look like the most impressive guys. But they're just so sound at so many things. Um, I mean, Jalen Brunson was a post-up point guard and has been a good NBA player. I can hardly believe that. I, I would not have even drafted Jalen Brunson. So, you know, I was wrong there. But it's just kind of like maybe at a certain point, you just need to bet on the track record of Jay Wright gets these guys prepared to do NBA stuff. Um, so uh, so um, the guy I'm picking is Brandon Slater, who is one of – there's like two interesting guys for Villanova, but he's my favorite. Um, he is kind of like a funky driver, left-handed. Um, I think he's a good shooter. He, his numbers have sort of bounced up and down really good finisher and the free throw numbers look good. Interesting defensive player against stocks numbers aren't there, but they're not always there for non bigs playing, um, playing at Villanova. So like the stock numbers aren't great, but I, I think he's a good defender. Just again, six six. He does some interesting stuff. I'm trying to hold it together so hard. <laughs> um, uh, and I, I, I'm a fan of Slater. I think he's someone who I can't wait to watch more of because I think there's a real chance he's like borderline first round for me because he just he's six six and he does cool stuff and he plays at Villanova and that's like a recipe for success. So you know he is a four year senior. He's older. Uh, he's only started twelve total games. Uh, for Villanova you know he doesn't have much of a track record he steps in as a senior and is now the starting three um, but I, I, I like him a lot I think he's someone to really keep an eye on I think he's probably the best prospect on that Villanova team uh, does anyone have any thoughts on Brandon Slater <laughs> okay okay uh, I this chat is killing me Coop I cannot believe you're 6'3 and can only dunk a tennis ball I'm I'm embarrassed for you I'm a water polo player, man. I never learned to dunk. Doesn't that get your legs are made for egg beatering, not for not for jumping jumping? I'm six one and out of shape and can dunk. Come on, bro. Okay. Well, I gotta get up. We gotta get up. We gotta meet up. We gotta meet up sometime and work on. Anyways, we will. Anyways. (laughs) Anyways. Uh Stone, it is time for you to bring us home with a name I am not even gonna try and pronounce, so I'll let you do it. (laughs) Shout out to Wolves Culture for teaching me the correct pronunciation. I believe it is Chambor Maranca. So I, I, I believe I pronounced that correctly according to him. Um, Maranca is legitimately somebody that's like fighting into my first round at this point. Uh, I think he's a really, really interesting prospect. Um, he moves very, he's going to get a lot of friends hype from people that liked friends last year. They're not super similar apart from their height in that they move really fluidly. Um, he's about 6'10", moves like a wing and shoots like a wing, got an extremely quick release, uh, really smart cutter, pretty much always knows where the ball handler is on the court at all times, so he's able to cut efficiently to the rim. Um, somebody that I think also flashes promise like underneath the rim, he's, he loves pump fakes underneath the rim, and they're actually pretty effective. Uh, he makes a lot of the smart reads a lot of the time where he's not playing a whole lot within himself. He's not going to take a lot of bad shots usually. Um, and he also, the, the thing about shooters that I've really started to hone in on over the last couple of years is, are guys who don't rush their shots when they're being contested. 
And I think Moronka does a good job of not doing that, where he's able to um, still efficiently get a shot off, uh, even when a hard closeout is coming his way. So I've been uh, pretty impressed with Moronka. Defensively, it's another story. Um, off ball, it's, it's really rough. Uh, on ball, he shows promise as a, as a at least um, straight line defender where he uses length really well to extend out, uh, able to sort of cut off drives before they get to the rim. Um, but off ball and, and on ball laterally, it's, it's rough and off ball as well. So uh, there's things definitely to clean up for him. But offensively speaking, I think there's a lot of talent there that's sort of going untapped and unnoticed. Uh, and I think if more people had eyes on him, he would probably rise up a lot of boards. Yeah, uh, I, I haven't seen a ton. He, I definitely uh, understand the Brens comps just by looking at his face. Um, uh, I, I think the shot looks good. That's the one thing I've seen is like, I think the form is really good. It's really clean. The mechanics look good. Um, the production is, is pretty bad right now. Uh, he's not doing a lot, uh, but you know, I, I'm interested to see how it goes. I'm hopeful for him. Uh, so yeah. Uh, and, and obviously if stone gives him an endorsement, uh, I have to watch closer, but this has been awesome. I think we're uh, about ready to wrap it up. I think we're going to skip tail of the tape this week. Cause this whole episode is basically one long tail of the tape. And I don't think anyone wants to hear me talk about Grant Golden. So, uh, we're not going to do that. <laughs> um, but this has been awesome. Uh, Chip, I know you do YouTube. You're awesome on Twitter. Uh, you write uh, for a couple places, both bowls and draft stuff. So just plug all your stuff into to your heart's content, man. Let us let the people know where they can find you. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I'm on I'm on Twitter at ChipJNBA. Um, I'm on YouTube. Same thing. Uh, I had a video last week about Chet Holmgren that I felt like went pretty well. Um, I'm working on a video right now, actually, that's a, about the the forwards towards the top of the uh, the 2022 draft class, um, Patrick Baldwin Jr., Jabari Smith, um, and kind of looking at forwards in the past and in current days that are, you know, giving all-star level offensive production despite limited uh, vertical athleticism. Uh, definitely going to touch on Harrison Ingram too in that one. Uh, that, that's not like that was already planned. That was already part of it. So, um, so I'd, I'd definitely be looking out for that. Uh, should be coming out later this month. So, I mean, yeah, uh, just search Chip Chan NBA, and if something comes up, it's me. And if nothing comes up, then I'm not on that platform. So, absolutely, uh, Chip is one of the best. I feel like your rise has been like dramatic and awesome because you do great work. Um, I think I followed you back when you had like 200, 300 followers on Twitter. I feel like when you were still MV Paw MVP Paw. I think yeah. you guys followed me when I had like 10 followers. Maybe like I followed all the draft Twitter people. I feel like you guys are like one of the few people who actually just followed back my random account with no honestly. Name. I think it was because your name was dope as shit. I was like, oh yeah, maybe Patrick Williams can be an MVP someday. Who knows? That's uh, nice. <laughs> but uh no, seriously, uh one of the best to do it, Chip. And uh we're happy to have you on. We'll probably have you on a few more times during uh during this cycle because I love your input and uh this has been awesome. Uh Stone Coop, uh go ahead and plug yourself as well. Yeah, you could just follow me at report underscore court on Twitter. All my work is there. Everything I do connected to upside swings. Uh, anything I do outside of upside swings as well. Um, shout out to Adam Spinella at the Box and One who just had me on. Uh, and I pretty much talked about all these prospects in his sleeper episode. Um, so it was cool to be able to talk about them twice this week. Uh, make sure you follow the Upside Swings account on Twitter at Upside Swings. 
Uh, and make sure you rate and review if you like what you hear, because it really helps us out and grow our audience. Yeah, and I'm on Twitter at Ali underscore Oop underscore Coop. Uh, just follow the pod on TikTok at Upside Swings. Um, we got lots of great stuff coming. Um, probably going to sell our souls soon for a few prospects that we don't want to make TikToks about, but we're going to. Um, and we have our, you know, make a video, make, make a video telling us who your favorite prospect was in 2021. Uh, we'd love to see it. We will uh, publicly put it out there as much as we can. Um, I forgot the word there. But you have such a way with words. Wow. I do. Right no, I, if I don't have something written down, my, my, my English is yep. very yep. awful. Yep. No, yeah. I, 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 I have all my stuff written down here and then sometimes I get off script this, and it's, this is, this is why I love YouTube more than you, anything. Bryce. Yeah. No, I, 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 and I'm just happy. I got to finally meet Chip in semi-person. This, this is great. This is, this is as in person as it's got the past two years. So let's, I mean, I yeah. appreciate it. Chip, we can't thank you enough, my friend. Uh, seriously, open invitation anytime you want to come back on. Uh, just let us know, and I'm sure we'll invite you back on. So this has been awesome. This has been the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast. Follow us on TikTok. Follow Chip at ChipJNBA on YouTube and on Twitter. Um, this has been awesome. Uh, we hope we hit our ceiling. Thank you.